Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today I'm talking with Don Renee Rice. We're going to be discussing parenting today, conscious connection parenting. So Don Renee Rice is a conscious connection parenting coach, writer, columnist, speaker, and advocate for conscious connected living and parenting. She provides insights, tips, and guidance for frustrated parents and caregivers in extreme parenting situations to help them reduce stress, manage meltdowns and power struggles, navigate the special needs life, and find time for themselves. These challenges include special needs families, grandparents raising grandchildren, behavior and mood disorders, step parenting and raising multiples, to name a few. Dawn Renee has personal experience and insight with all of these parenting and caregiving challenges, making it her mission to support others in similar situations. She lives in the great state of Texas with her husband of 23 years. They have three adult children and six grandchildren. Together, she and her husband helped raise their twin grandsons with special needs for four years. To find more about Dawn Renee, inquire about interview requests, and sign up for conscious, connected parenting tips, strategies, and solutions, visit her online at linktree forward slash Dawn Renee Rice. Dawn Renee, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super excited about this topic. I think um, it's a great topic and one that isn't discussed much. Like there's not a lot of information out there. I remember my therapist saying, um, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. So let's jump right in and talk about it. Sure. And it's interesting you say that because about the, that there's not a lot of information out there um, because there definitely is now more than there was when I was a first time parent, Same. but it's still, it's like, unless you're aware, um, you're curious about the subject or something to that effect. I'm finding that a lot of parents just don't look for it. So it's still, that's still a challenge of bringing that awareness to parents, to caregivers, um, that there is an alternative that you do not have to continue to live in stress and strife and have this disconnection with your kids and this stressful home environment. Um, the internet is at our fingertips. And so there's so much out there. And at the same time, there's almost a little bit too much. There's like a lot of messages from just different types of books and websites and parent coaches. And, you know, a lot of parents get on like Facebook, uh, uh, groups and, you know, I'm in several of them and, I find that a lot of information that's shared by other parents can be more hurtful than helpful and vice versa, you know, but again, it goes back to, you know, just how many parents I do come across and it's more specifically moms. Moms do tend to be the ones who reach out for the help more than the dads. I am seeing a trend with the dads, but, you know, I am seeing that, you know, there's just a lot of information out there. So it's not only, you know, tuning into finding that information, but also, okay, now that I am looking for this information, like, where do I even start? That's hard. That's a very hard thing. And no one family is the same. You know, there's so many different dynamics and it's, Mm -hmm. um, there's so many books and things out there that can handle 
or cover one subject versus another. And it's just so as I was learning as a parent, especially as a second time around parent raising my grandsons, um, I found that things had really shifted since my first time. So I became a mom in 1995. So my daughter's 26. We're a blended family. Um, my husband, he brought two children to the relationship. They were five and two and a half at the time. My daughter was two and a half. So we raised our kids together. My husband had custody of both and um, my ex was not in the picture. So, for, and I was 21, my husband was 31. So I really didn't know much. I mean, I became a mom at 18. So um, I was just doing the best that I could, you know, with what I knew. And that's pretty much what I find that most of us tend to do. Like we were talking before we started recording about how parenting is like the hardest job ever. And it is truly like the only job that we don't really get any adequate training on. Um, you could even say we don't get any training or the kind of training that we get is obviously how were we raised? And we were not always raised in the best environments. Mm -hmm. um, our parents, certainly a lot of our parents certainly did the best that they could with what they knew. Um, but we're looking at obviously generations of like traditional punitive authoritative parenting. Um, some of it toxic, a lot of it toxic parenting. And so a lot of us are now at that point of we've got to make a change and how do we do it? Um, I want to, you know, not constantly be yelling at my kids all the time. I want to have this happy, peaceful home, but how, how do I do it? And that's typically the question I get the most. And that's the question that I try to answer the most. And at the core of it, it really comes back down to, you can try to do all of the things that the book says, the websites say, the Instagram accounts you follow, whatever, but you're often not going to find change within your home until there's change within yourself. And that's really where it comes down to. And even I had to go through that journey. And that's what led me to becoming a conscious connection parenting coach. Um, it was absolutely not on my radar, Liz, not at all. I mean, you asked my, my family, ever since I was old enough to hold a crayon, I wanted to be a writer. That has been my passion my whole life. And Anytime people ask, you know, you always get that question, what are you going to be when you grow up? As I mean, as far back as I can recall, it was always, I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to write about it and I'm never going to have kids and I'm never going to get married. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's what I said. You and I are so much alike, Don Renee, you don't even know. I know. It was like that whole free spirit of just, <laughs> I didn't want any kind of anything to tie me down. And yeah. then like two months after high school, I graduated um, early at 17 and I got pregnant. And then like my whole life just shifted in a completely different way that I never expected, didn't plan for, just, it was a huge shift and change. And starting from that point, um, I wasn't even with my, um, with my daughter's father. We had broken up when I found out I was pregnant and I was raised in a very traditional Christian, I'm, I live in Texas, so very Southern Baptist um, type of environment. And so that's what, you know, I grew up with. That was my foundation, so to speak. And, um, but at the time that I found myself pregnant and, and, and all that, we, we ended up reconciling me and, and her father was not because of the pregnancy. I actually didn't tell him right away. Um, but it was just really not meant to be. It, if anything, it was meant to be to just have her 
And then, oh, it was just not meant to be. So nine months later, we're splitting up. She's two months old and I'm 18. So, you know, it was like, what do I do with my life? So at that point, it was literally all about survival, just getting a job, any job, Obviously it was like waitressing, waiting tables, you know, things that like young adults typically tend to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just never gave another thought to writing or communicating or anything. It was just really about survival. Um, I spent the next two and a half to three years as a single teenage and then young adult mom barely surviving. I mean, thank God my mom and dad helped how they did, but, um, cause I received no child support. No, my ex moved off out of state, you know, didn't didn't come back. So it was just literally day, day to day. And there was no conscious thought of anything, to be honest with you, all I can think, and to be honest, it was so stressful. And I was working like seven days a week, um, double shifts. Sometimes my dad worked from home. So he was babysitting my daughter. I just didn't have time to think I was literally just going to work, going to sleep, going to work, going to sleep. And Unfortunately, that situation robbed me and my daughter of bonding and robbed us of an opportunity to be connected. And I was robbed of the opportunity to be aware um, and to find out more. Once I knew I was going to have her, I was determined to be a stay-at-home mom at that point. I mean, to be honest with you, I just was like day by day. I didn't know what to do. Just, I got to feed us. I've got to, you know, make ends meet kind of thing. And so Um, it was like that for almost three years. And then me and my husband, um, met in the very early days of AOL, um, in 1997 in an AOL chat room. And it was very much a universe, God spirit kind of coming together. Um, my mom wanted to know how to use AOL. So I showed her and I chose a chat room to go into, and it was a divorced single parent. If I hadn't had my daughter and I hadn't gotten married and I hadn't, you know, gone through a divorce, then how would I even have chosen this particular chat room to get to this particular person? And my husband had Texas in his username. And so I just, you know, clicked on it and we connected and long story short on that, I moved to where he's from because he could not leave because of his children, um, eight hours away in another part of Texas, only a month after we met. So. And then now we've been together 20, actually 24 years, but married 23. And so we knew, you know, it was just meant to be. And he has been an amazing partner to grow with. So we've grown together spiritually and um, into this um, parenting style and, and how we parent, not just our grandchildren, but our, our own kids. And so as we, you know, went into that blended family, it was so quick. And I mean, gosh, if I could go back, I would absolutely slow, so slow some things down, still move up here, but like maybe live on my own a little bit longer, you know, I don't know, but you know, who can say, you know, if we, if we try to go back, then things would just be too different, I guess. I did the um, same thing, Don Renee. It was meant to be. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were a blended family as well. I had had my son at 26 and the father wasn't involved and met my um, ex of 20 years. Um, when my son was one, I was waitressing and we become a, <laughs> became a blended family. He had two children from his second marriage. And, you know, we knew each other. We met in April, moved in together in June and we're married in the following January. And then we were married 
uh, we split on our 20th anniversary. Mm. Yeah. I'm really so sorry to hear that. Unless it's like a good thing for you, then I'm, I think congratulations. <laughs> now it's good. Yeah, but it is. It's a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. stepping into that role of step parent. And then the other parent is stepping into the role of step parent. Um, mine adopted my youngest, you know, so, you know, in the different dynamics and the relationship, mm-hmm. as you said. And then just dealing with, I mean, it's a new experience that you're not prepared for. I did not grow up in an environment like that. Neither did my husband. We both came from um, families where our parents stayed together until death did them, did they part. So Mm -hmm. both of our mothers are widows and they came from that generation of, it doesn't matter if you are struggling, don't love each other, whatever, not to say that was the case with them, but it's just, you know, it was very much that, you know, older generation that was like, once you're married, you're married. Right. Um, and so we grew up in like a more stability in that, in that respect. Um, so to me, you know, going through a divorce already, like right off the bat, I felt like a failure. I felt like I failed my daughter, but I also knew that while I was in that marriage, it was not a healthy marriage. And that's really all I will say, because I, you know, this is public. So I'll just say that it was not healthy right. and I did not want my daughter to be raised in that kind of environment and think that that it was okay to be treated that way as right. a woman as she got older. And so, um, you know, I was torn and I just remember ultimately coming back to, so my foundational belief system is on God and and Jesus. I'm a born again Christian. And I just remember thinking, okay, God created us to be happy and to be at peace, to not live in strife. So certainly he is not going to want me to stay in this relationship and be unhappy and miserable and et cetera. And it took like 10 to 15 years of therapy to work through that. I'm wondering if you had to go through something similar. Um, <clears throat> no different situation in that respect. <clears throat> so we were never married and we had only dated for a few months when I accidentally got pregnant at the time. So, and then um, our choices conflicted, you know, as far as the pregnancy was concerned and, um, we went our separate ways. Um, I would say that, you know, I made the best choice for my son definitely, because I don't think that environment would have been healthy for him had we tried to work it out. So I'm glad that we did go our separate ways and, you know, that we made the choice that we did for sure. Yeah. And even marrying my second husband, we still had confliction because I grew up in a more, um, also a more authoritative house, uh, you know, lifestyle than he did. And he was always like really more lenient. And I was very strict. I was very controlling. And that was just an added dynamic to, um, I did not expect that to happen as I became a parent. It wasn't, I never thought it because again, I never thought I would ever be a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, But as the kids got older and as I had to deal with the responsibilities of being a mom and a stepmom, and I was dealing with two ex-wives, one was generally not an issue to deal with at all. Um, The other one, a huge issue. We had to get custody of um, my stepson when he was four, four and a half to five. He's 26 now. So it was my daughter. Um, And so we basically from like when our kids were five and two and a half, my daughter and my stepson were two and a half. So it was like raising twins from that point on because they're three months apart in age. (laughs) So it's almost like I can look back and go, okay, God, I can see 
where you were preparing <laughs> me for another situation with twin twins, basically. Yes. Um, but, you know, we still had ourselves, you know, we still had, um, we would, we both came from a previous toxic relationship. And so I was trying to wrestle control. He was trying to wrestle control. Um, he didn't like being told what to do. I didn't like being told what to do. And then we've got this whole added dynamic of kids and, and whatnot underfoot. And we're, again, we're just going through life reactive. We're just, you know, just going with what we know to do as best as we can. And especially back then, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, the internet was just barely something that you could like, you could not get on Google really and find a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. I remember um, searching when early on in my parenting, yeah. because it was one of the most difficult things I ever did was step parenting. And I remember searching and I really wish like looking back now, I wish I had, you know, called a therapist like I did, mm-hmm. you know, in my late thirties and early forties. Right. And not just dependent on, you know, the advice of friends or going online or reading books. And yes, those were great and helped right. me. Right. But the addition of having a coach would have been fantastic. But who spoke right. about coach? Now it's such a gift now these days mm-hmm. to have that word in a vocabulary, right? We can seek out a coach, you know, who's yeah. had these experiences and has the tips and tools and wants to pass them along because of their experience. Right. And, and living in in certain, yeah, right. And living in certain areas does also color that experience because I live in the Bible belt and it's like at that time, especially if you did not seek anything other than God's word, then you didn't have enough faith. And, you know, so that at least that was the message that I received and that I was getting. Um, and then as my kids became tweens and teens, um, other moms were not supportive. Like I am so thrilled when I go online and I see so many um, millennial moms. And when I say millennial, I'm talking about like the late twenties into the thirties age. And then of course the new, newer, you know, age coming up. Um, But like my kids age right now. So they're 26 and 29 Um, that they're standing up for themselves or holding boundaries. They're um, saying, you know what, I don't like this. I, I'm, I'm not enjoying this lifestyle. Something needs to change, you know? And so there, and plus they have so much more, um, to get information wise than we did. And so I'm always like congratulating and, and really trying to lift up in a positive way, all of those kind of parents who are seeking that out, um, and who are lifting each other up because we didn't have that kind of support. At least I didn't. And so I felt even more alone and unable to really handle parenting. And I turned into an angry mom and that was really hard. It was hard on everybody. And at the time we also didn't know a lot about neurodivergence. And I'm sure as you can recall, as we were kids, you know, who that word wasn't even, I don't even think was even used. No, Um, ADD, I think think was the popular term and that was it. And it was for boys, like Mm -hmm. girls didn't have ADD to them, you know, to the school system and to doctors and whatnot. And so, um, you know, looking back over my childhood and how much I struggled in school and how much I struggled in personal relationships and I struggled in socializing, um, anybody that you might ever ask from my childhood in my school years would say, well, Dawn was just always really quiet and she was really nice. And she was always reading a book. My face was always in a book. Um, and I hid 
at lunchtime and at you know any time before school uh, from noise and and did not eat in the cafeteria because I didn't want to deal with the noise and the bright lights and all of that and like mm-hmm. we did not know back then what all of that meant right um, so as I'm going into my adult life and and I'm raising these kids and then I'm working in the corporate world I've um, I'm working long hours I'm working just as many hours sometimes more than my husband was and yet you know what was expected of us it's still this way now. And, and it's a narrative that needs to change with this mindset that the, the woman, the mother has to do it all in the house. We can't, and we shouldn't have to, um, because it should be a partnership. And it's so distressing to still see that that message is even said now, but mm-hmm. it, le- it led to burnout. By the time I was 25, I was burned out on literally having to be the mom for my stepchildren. I was the one who did all of the things for school. I took them to all of their doctor's appointments. It was just my personality being a go-getter, controlling, perfectionistic um, type of person that, and I mean, ultimately I just, I saw a need and I filled it. They Mm -hmm. needed a more present mother. And so I filled it, but I did not even think because were we ever taught growing up to take care of ourselves? No, (laughs) no. (laughs) You know, that's just not something that our moms did or even talked about, you know, um, we grew up in an environment where we saw our mothers doing it all. And primarily we're like one of the first of the generational women to be in the work workforce and put dinner on the table. I mean, I, my mom would put like amazing meals together. I cannot cook hardly from a box. So I did not get that trait from her. (laughs) And, you know, so I'm like trying to compare myself to my mom. And I run into that all the time as well with, you know, young moms who are struggling. It's like, well, I'm trying to do what my mom did. Well, your mom was raised and was a mom in a completely different world than what we live in now. Yeah. And there is literally no comparison. You can't compare generations. And, you know, when you come across that kind of mindset, it's like, well, we've always done it this way. It doesn't mean it's always the best way or the most effective way. Mm-hmm. And there's many examples of other things that have been done over decades and centuries that we now know is not good for you and not to get it into anything, uh, you know, off track, but just as an example is processed foods and cigarettes. I mean, these were things that were go-tos and it was popular and it was, um, uh, advertised as, you know, okay to do, you know, moms were encouraged to smoke cigarettes and take (laughs) uppers and downers just to keep going, you know, well, then guess what happens decades later after research, we find out it wasn't the best thing to be doing. Same thing with the processed foods. And so I, I use that as an example with parents to say, (laughs) you see my scarf is like falling down. Um, I use that as an example to say to parents, you know, who want to like discount what they call like new age parenting. It's not new. Um, do you remember, and I think I'm getting a little off track with my own personal story, but just real quick. Um, do you remember Dr. Spock? We heard about Dr. Spock back in the seventies and early. And what do you remember hearing about him? Because what I remember hearing was that he was, um, well, I'm trying to think of a right word to say because our parents used words that I can't say on here. <laughs> I think he the was, one thing I remember about Dr. Down on. Yeah, I think the one thing I remember the standout is Dr. Spock went, oh, just let the baby cry. Right. And then 
when I became a parent, it was don't let the baby cry because then you're going to give them an attachment disorder. Yeah, <laughs> right? and now we have the yeah, abandonment research that proves that to be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just happened to get curious and I looked at his teachings to see what was the big deal? Like, why was he like, just even saying the word Dr. Spock, my parents would immediately be like, uh, you know, he's, um, got this new age, you know, newfangled kind of parenting. And then I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is literally what I'm teaching. This is what people are talking about now. This is what the experts are saying we need to be doing. Um, and I can't quote, you know, what it is that he said. So if anyone's interested, you can go look, but, and I'm sure he had some stuff that was controversial that even to this day, I may not agree with everything, but I like to read different things and kind of pull and, you know, take things from there. But I just remember, you know, as a young mom, as my kids were growing up, I, anytime I did run across that kind of information of like listening to your child and um, validating their feelings and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, I would think, yeah. oh, that's just like new age parenting that who, you know, no way my kids won't listen to that. But I sure thought they were going to listen to yelling and harsh punishment. I don't yeah, know why amazing. I thought that. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how different we are. And, you know, to look at myself, my parenting in my 20s, my parenting in my 30s and mm -hmm. parenting in my 40s. And now, you know, 26 years of parenting, it was all different. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, I'm not the same parent I was in my late 30s or early 30s right. or 20s, right? And the information changes at the same yeah. time. Right. And, and, and it's as a matter of being open-minded to it, you know, yeah, and, and growing in your consciousness of it. Um, exactly. Not constantly wanting to live in a place of discontent and um, unhappiness. And I, I'm just not that kind of person. And I get the impression you're the same. Like I might feel icky for a little while, but then I'm like, okay, what's going on? I need to solve this problem. And you know, move forward. Exactly. So, That's how I parented. Like whenever I ran into any challenges, I was always in search of that thing that was going to help me get over what my challenge was. Right. right. And I've done that. Like not just know. trying to put a bandaid over it, but like, yeah. I really want to solve this. So yeah. I what can solve it? What can do it? it? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But and I wasn't I remember, like that for a long time. Yeah. I remember um, looking back, I think about my parenting style and something that resonated with me, um, something that you said um, earlier and when we were chatting before the call is coming from that traditional authoritative punitive parenting. And that's what I, that was my history, what I came from and looking back now, you know, and having my son, if I had just had my son, I would have matured with my son. But jumping yeah. into a situation where I all of a sudden had an instant family of five and mm -hmm. a four and an eight year old as well, it was almost like trial by fire, right? Where I'm jumping. Yeah, you're literally, yeah, and you're like putting learn out fires every single day. As, yeah, mm -hmm. every single day, having to learn as I go and raise myself rather quickly out yeah. of my, out, out of being my mom, basically. Yes. Right. And turning myself into a different parent, yeah. you know, altogether. And it didn't happen overnight. It was trial and error, you know, for sure. And it, it still is. Yeah. Like, so, you know, our kids are adults and I'm still learning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a parenting Thank coach. You. I'm still learning. I think we and still learn, you know, continually forever. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And what was interesting is I did not grow up in a home where I was yelled at and screamed at and, you know, really harsh stuff like that. Now it was still very, you know, punishment wise. And I got spankings and we were sent to our rooms and, you know, but we would just always be like, well, why did I get in trouble? We never got the why 
we were just told we did something wrong, but we were never told the why of it. And I would ask questions, Mm -hmm. but then I was rebellious, you know, in in their mind, I was questioning authority. And in my mind, I was like, no, I'm just trying to understand this. So I don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I think I just kind of knew that even at a young age that I wanted to please them, but I also wanted, and, and that's unfortunately what happens with that kind of punitive parenting is that parents will say, well, it's, I mean, they're, they're doing what I told them to do. Yeah. Out of what? out of fear or respect or out of a sense of um, I just want to make sure that I please my parents or because they have a uh, critical thinking, understanding, a consciousness of, um, Oh, if I do this, then this will happen, you know? And so that is that missing ingredient in there. And so as I became an angry mom and I became an even angrier mom, and I just, I just found myself at a loss. Like the kids were getting older. Social media had just started coming out. Like they were that generation of kids who started with the first phones, the, I mean, we went from the flip phones to the, the phones that had internet access and we would pay extra to not have internet access for them and stuff. And they were on MySpace and then they were on Facebook and I only got on Facebook because they were on it. And I was being that FBI mom, you know, like, (laughs) I'm going to check and see what they're up to kind of thing. And they just kept, you know, finding ways to, to skirt, you know, around, parental control. Um, but I, I remember just, I hated being that angry mom and I would find myself just every single day, constantly triggered. I would wake them up yelling. I would send them off to school yelling. I came home from work. I was yelling. Why wasn't this done? Why wasn't that done? I became like a drill sergeant and I hated it. Like in my mind, I would be thinking, just shut up, stop. You know, why can't you be in a, you know, be more loving and why can't you be more nurturing? But it was like everything that was that part of me had been so tamped down from the stress of raising kids and the stress of working and having to take care of the home and take care of all of those things that comes with everything Mm -hmm. um, to do with being a mom that there was, and I obviously wasn't taking care of myself. So there was nothing there to give anymore. As far as from a nurturing, loving experience, I just wanted help. I just wanted like everyone else in this household who's dirtying clothes and dirtying the dishes help do your part, you know, because it can't just all be on me. And it just was too overwhelming. And what I did not know then that I do now know, and I found out last year, I got, um, I, I finally just got to a point where I'm like, something is wrong. I cannot keep a hold of any thoughts. I can't handle my emotions, et cetera. And I went and got a psychological evaluation, but it wasn't until I raised my grandsons, uh, helped raise them that I even knew to even do that, that that even was a possibility. So back when I was angry mom, all I knew was I didn't like feeling this way. I didn't like being this way, but I didn't know how to change it. And I didn't know that you could. And all I knew was that I was experiencing that every interaction with my children, I could see the light in their eyes disappearing. I could see and I could feel the disconnect happening. And I just felt helpless to avoid it. And as social media got, you know, more and more popular and they got older into high school, you know, their peers were who they went to for their advice and for um, that connection became like their family. And they just kept pulling away from us, you know, which that's still normal, but we create in that punitive type parenting, we create a situation where our kids are afraid to come and tell us if if we 
yell at them and punish them when they're little about little things, they find a way as a teenager to do things without us knowing about them. They're just going to find a different way Mm -hmm. and they're going to be even less likely to even clue you into what's going on with them. And so you just keep living this vicious cycle. And unfortunately I didn't figure this out until my kids were right at like 16, 17 years old and every single one of our children, all three at about 17 left home. They went and lived with grandma because we were too strict. We were too hard. They did not feel heard. They would tell us this. We don't feel heard. We don't feel loved. We don't feel like you care. All you care about is that we do the chores and we get our homework done, but their emotional needs were not getting met. And again, I felt helpless. Like, well, I don't know what to do about that, you know? And at the same time, before you really come into your own consciousness and take care of yourself in that way and start to realize that you are playing the victim just as much as they are. You're telling them, well, I feed you, I clothe you, I put a roof over your head. What do you mean you don't love me? What, how, how can you disrespect me? You know, like this. And so we just play this horrible game, this vicious cycle of victim, victimization. And, um, and until you can have, you know, some kind of a situation that like wakes you up, that feeling inside, that gut feeling, your heart hurts, your gut hurts, and you're just like, I am so sick of this. I'm so tired of fighting and arguing and, and it not being what I wanted, you know, as a parent or as a you know child, um, how do I change? Mm-hmm. And so it always comes back to ourselves and asking ourselves. So One night I remember this was my defining moment. My kids were 14, 15 ish, you know, age. We just constantly fought. My husband never had an issue with them really. Like he didn't yell at them. He didn't, you know, he, I was really more of like the short term. We always have joked about that. He definitely has a longer, longer fuse than I do. And I have the shorter fuse. Well, I just remember being super uh, exasperated and I went to the bedroom and I was just huffing and puffing and, you know, I just don't know what to do. And I don't understand why they listen to you, but they don't listen to me. And he looked at me with his big, beautiful brown eyes and was like, well, what's the common denominator? And it was like a pin dropped. Hmm. I just looked at him and he looked at me like, well, (laughs) and I said, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm the problem. And when I said that, it was like, boom, the scales falling from your eyes kind of moment. It was like, my brain just opened up and I went, oh my gosh, there's something to this right now. And that was my first awakening. Did that mean that I instantly changed overnight? No. Um, It took having all three of my kids leave home, struggling through estrangements and relationship issues and early, you know, adult years of, we did have like, they'd come back and they'd apologize and we'd make up and they'd live back home with us. And then they started having kids. And so our grandkids started coming along and when grandkids come along, well, you do anything for your grandkids, whatever it takes. And at one point we had like our our youngest too. So they're the same age. Well, they were both living in our home again with their kid, you know, with, well, one of them had grandkids. The other one had not yet, but he had his girlfriend and we were still fighting, even though they were like early, you know, twenties, 18, 19, 20. 
um, I had twin grandsons that came along. They were my first uh, grandchildren and they were preemies. They were in the NICU. That was a struggle, a huge struggle with them. And my daughter and I were like oil and water for like almost her, her entire life. You know, from what I had said earlier, we never had that opportunity to bond. We never had the opportunity to really connect. And I didn't know how. And so where I'm an introvert, she's an extrovert. And where I'm very quiet and reserved, she's very um, uh, boisterous and, and talkative and like bubbly and all that. And I can be that way at times, but it's, you know, like on that scale of things, you know, she's, she's more and I'm less. Um, and so I really struggled with having her back in my home and, and us having these personality conflicts and not knowing how to handle them. And then of course the added stress of now the boy's father's also living there and the boys and all of their issues, they had, they have multiple special needs. And at the time we didn't know. The only thing that we knew was they had a physical condition that was from being born preemies and some developmental delays. We, we knew to expect that we were told that. Um, we just did not know. And you just don't until you're in the situation for one, I had all, never been a stay-at-home mom. So I'd always been working. I didn't have to be with kids 24-7, much less twins who have uh, multiple special needs. Mm -hmm. And so my daughter at 18 had them. And by the time they were three and a half and she was, I want to say 21, I'm not really sure. I'm not great at doing the math in my brain. Um, but when they were three and a half, um, it became very obvious that she was struggling with them. Um, they were for lack of a better term, they were like feral animals. They were so highly emotional and so highly dysregulated that, I mean, at that point, she just finally got to a point where she was just sitting on the couch, disasso dissociating on social media while they just kind of played around her and, you know, made messes and yelled and screamed. They were really loud, like no volume button. And of course, me and all my parenting glory, I judged her. You know, and I thought, you know, she should do a better job. She should keep up better with what they're doing. She should be doing crafts with them and playing with them. And <clears throat> instead of like sitting on the couch, and just, you know, doing nothing, you know, just, you know, just threw all of these judgments onto my daughter rather than doing what being there for her and supporting her emotionally and even physically. I mean, that's not to say I didn't help with the boys. Um, I spent the majority of the time up until they were three and a half, I was their primary babysitter and caregiver in that respect. So she'd work and I would keep them while I also worked from home. But it's so different being a grandparent and a caregiver. And, you know, you know, they're going to go back to mom after a certain shift, you know, every day, or they're going to go back home. You know, there were times she didn't live with us. Then it is to actually take on that responsibility of helping raise your grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And you took that on. Yeah. How and her mental taking, health. Yeah. How did yeah. taking on your grandchildren like shift you into raising your consciousness and shifting mindset and becoming a conscious connected parent? It happened by me having to take on raising them um, for about at least the first two years. Um, my daughter's mental health suffered. And so she had a mental breakdown and she moved out. Um, we had the kid, the boys for, uh, about two years, pretty much solid, like 24 seven, 
little visits here and there with mom and dad, but for the most part, she absolutely needed that break. I can see that now looking back because um, within, I would say three weeks of me taking them on, because it was like overnight, literally on a Thursday, I was like, just go to a friend's house for a few days. I can see this has gotten way out of hand and too much for you. Um, but what turned into like just staying with a friend for a few days turned into a, a four year long uh, situation. And I very quickly was shown how judgmental I was and how difficult it was to raise these two boys at that time. Um, but as you and I discussed earlier, you know, just being that problem solving forward thinking type person, I was like, okay, whoa, we need to get evaluations. We need to, you know, see what's going on, et cetera. But in the process of even all of that, like once we got their diagnoses where one is autistic, the other one has a severe mood disorder called um, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. And then they both have severe ADHD, Tourette syndrome, um, sensory processing disorder, depression, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so I was one person dealing with something that like people go to college and get college degrees in psychology and, you know, therapies and uh, therapists, you know, get certified to handle. And I was having to do it myself. And then here, my daughter had been trying to handle it for three years. So it just was like that moment, just moment by moment, day by day, just doing the best I could to make it through and going, okay, something has to give. And so I started the internet research and looking into how to do this better. How do I handle the 20 meltdowns they were having a day? How do I handle my meltdowns? Because they were melting down and I was so overstimulated and melting down that angry mom was coming back. And that was what I did not want to have. My husband and I even had that conversation because we were afraid of that happening. Because when it comes down to it, I end up finding out that I'm neurodivergent myself, but I also have a hormonal imbalance that I've struggled with my entire life that I didn't know about. And so you throw all of that at somebody and then they're with children 24 seven. Um, and I mean, to the point where I had to sleep with them, I, I was not separated from them very long, like maybe 30 minutes a day at most, like if I could escape to go to the grocery store or something, you know, my poor husband, he was the breadwinner, he was working. Um, and I had to quit my job to do that as well, to, to help raise them. And so it just became a situation of, okay, now that we know their diagnoses, how do you handle this? They obviously needed a different type of parenting. And as I looked into how to parent autistic children and how to parent, um, the one who has the mood disorder, it turns out both brains are very similar, um, to each other in the way that they're wired and how things, um, work. And so I just kept diving into that research and diving into what would be the best you know, way, but all through, I would say at least three years, almost the whole four, I still was dealing with anger towards my daughter and resentment. Um, I was just very angry and resentful of having to be a parent again, when I never wanted it in the first place. And I sure did not want it in my empty nest years. Um, I took them on the week I turned 41. So I was really bitter and angry about it and resentful. And so even though I had done a lot of spiritual growth and work over, I would say, well, since I was like 35 until 40, you know, ish, mm -hmm. you still get thrown into situations that show you there's still something to learn. There's still something that you need to learn. And ultimately 
these kind of situations then um, show you what your purpose is and what your mission is in, in life. And so what I saw and experienced over that four years was that when we did start, you know, having to help raise them and we were doing the traditional parenting, it was not working. I mean, it was like making the meltdowns worse. Yeah. Um, it was just exasperating the whole situation. And so that's when I was led to many different types of what I would call um, in the umbrella of positive parenting and conscious parenting and connected parenting are what were the two that really um, spoke to me the most. Mm-hmm. And in a nutshell, it's basically being aware of you, yourself, what you're doing, what your triggers are, um, being aware of when you're about to be triggered, or if you are triggered, learning those strategies to, um, to cool yourself back down, to calm down. And then um, adding in that connection part. So, okay, I'm not going to just assume that they're being bad per se. They're toddlers, they're preschoolers, or they're even teenagers who are basically grown up toddlers. Like their brains are literally almost in the same stage as a toddler is, but with that added aspect of being, you know, close to adulthood. And there's, I mean, honestly, if you just study how the brain is, and there's a wonderful book for that um, called the, uh, The Whole Brain Child. Um, I cannot think of the author's name, Dr. Daniel Siegel, I believe is what it is. So the whole brain child does a great explanation of when you can understand where children are, where you are developmentally and how different um, aspects of our childhood and situations that we've experienced traumatic or otherwise um, rewires the brain. Mm-hmm. It gives you a whole new outlook. It gave to me, it, it gave me a whole new outlook on how to raise those boys. And so I just started from there and was like, okay, I'm going to start doing something that I've never done before to see if I get a different result because people just keep doing the same things over and over and over again. And then they're like, why do, why do my kids not listen? I keep yelling at them, but they don't listen. Well, do you like to get yelled at? No. Are you going to perform for your boss if you're talked down to and disrespected, especially in public, in front of your coworkers and friends? So think about your child who doesn't even have a fully developed brain and they're being, you know, talked down to and disrespected and invalidated in front of their siblings or school or the playground or wherever. Um, So these are just all things that just began to to make more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it opened my mind. It, it made me be more conscious and less reactive as a parent. And then I realized, so in my study about even just being a grandparent, raising grandchildren, there's like over 3 million households in America alone that are grandparents who are either fully raising their grandchildren or helping raise them like we did. Wow. Um, and it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent, especially after COVID and the pandemic. Um, more people are not able to live on their own, so they're moving back in with their families. And then you have these different parenting styles that are clashing. And again, it comes back down to if you're conscious and aware of what you're saying and doing and being that role model for your children, they're going to learn from that. They're learning from whatever it is that you're doing, bottom line. So, yep. so that was really where for me, I realized, okay, if I want a different result and I want them to be successful and I want to help them learn how to manage their emotions, I have to do that for me first. Nobody else can do that. Um, I can use all of the tips and tools and strategies all, all day long on them. But if I'm the one who's flying off the handle and I'm also melting down and I'm yelling and I'm screaming to resolve or try to resolve conflicts or 
any kind of issues, what do you think they're going to do? Mm-hmm. They're going to do exactly what they see. And so it just, again, becomes a very uh, like unconscious, just kind of like drifting through the days and through life, reacting to everything rather than having a plan and a strategy. And so ultimately what I learned with raising my grandsons was the importance of breath, the importance of stopping and calming yourself down before it escalates, because you cannot calm another person down, whether they're an adult or a child, if you are not calm, they're going to match your energy. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to change that energy, you got to change your energy because ultimately, even with our own children, we cannot control what they do. And that even goes with anyone who's listening and has been out in public and seen a, a mom or a dad with kids and they're acting up. Don't assume, don't assume they're not good parents. You do not know what their situation is because I've been out in public with my grandsons, with my own children, you know, back in the day, but I've been out with my grandsons with that full knowledge now. And I have actually had to very nicely, but let people know around me if they've made comments and they have in the, you know, shopping line, you know, if I'm at the cashiers or something, yeah, you know, oh, I would spank my kid if he acted like that. And I've. I've looked back at them and said, well, then I'm glad this one's not yours because that's not the right answer. My grandson is actually autistic. And in this particular situation, it was his first time out in public where he had no meltdown. He got a little upset in the, the line because he saw like some candy, mm-hmm. um, but we handled it very well. And it was like the first successful outing with him. And an older lady, I would say from the boomer generation, made a comment about, you know, spanking the child. And and I just was very nice about it, but I just let her know. Um, This is actually a a child who this is a very successful outing for him and he's autistic. And of course, you know, her face changed. Oh, you know, well, I'm so sorry. And I said, but it shouldn't matter if they have special needs or not, because everybody deserves to be heard. Everyone deserves to be validated and listened to and you know, we parents are doing the best that we can when we're out in public. And she's like, well, yeah, you're right. You know, so just, you know, being aware um, of yourself and what you're saying and doing. And ultimately what I learned with my grandsons that really helped me work through all of that anger and that resentment that I even had with my daughter is, I mean, I had to eat crow and I had egg on my face. Let's just use all of the little sayings here. Um, I had to literally walk in her shoes. So if you as a person can put yourself in your child's shoes, put yourself in your spouse's shoes, put yourself in your, your adult child's shoes, um, who's raising their children, we are all trying to do the best we can. And I hope that at least this pandemic has certainly proven that, you know, we are all just trying to do the best we can with what Mm -hmm. we know until we know better. And with those boys, one of the things that I loved the most was that we spent a lot of time playing and that's where children learn the most is through play, play play-based learning. And it was something as simple as we were sitting outside building mud pies, having conversations about nature and even drawing letters and numbers in the mud, you know, and doing different things, anything that I could find that would uh, pique their curiosity and their creativity and their minds. But also I just remember sitting there thinking, man, this is really nice to just sit outside and enjoy the sounds of nature playing in mud and being a kid again. 
why do why do we not do that anymore? Why are we so hung up on being such staunch adults that you know have to go to work and, and no play? Play and let your kids play. And so with them, I learned how to live in the moment. I, I had to to do such an about face with having come from a corporate type setting and that kind of personality of like go 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 do do do, literally living by a schedule. That with them there was no schedule. And we had a lot of free time and a lot of free play. And they also helped me with all of the conditions that they have to deal with, which they are doing fantastic now. In fact, they are already living with their mom again. And they have been for about a year, little almost a year. And we just, we did a slow transition and I'm still very much involved. Like I'll be picking them up later today. Um, I help them get to and from school, but with their experience, I learned to let go of what to expect and to let go of the outcome of our expectations, to allow, allow spirit to work through you, to work with you, to work from you, to just allow, and like in my case, to allow God to work through me mm-hmm. and to just take a step back and slow down for a minute and say, hold on. Okay. That previous life I was living, I don't like it so much anymore. I don't think I want to go back to it. So it completely changed my dynamic. I was doing content development prior to that and a lot of deadline driven, you know, high focus, high energy type stuff. But I knew in my heart, I was beginning to to feel that stirring to do like life coaching. And, but I just didn't know in what way, um, cause I have a lot of background that I could pull from. Could it be in, uh, coaching salespeople? Could it be marketing? Could it be content development? You know, people who are in those kind of careers and maybe consulting rather than coaching kind of thing. Needless to say, by the time I got towards the end of raising, uh, raising them for two years and then having my daughter coming back into the picture more and transitioning them to her, um, I realized parents need help the most. We need to help them so that they can then raise up a new generation and generations after them of more conscious, more connected, more aware human beings who have the ability to look at other people with empathy, with love, with forgiveness and know, okay, you know what? I make mistakes too they're, they're still learning. We're all still learning. We're all dealing with stress. We're all dealing with, you know, whatever problem it is. And so the ultimate lesson that I learned with them, believe it or not, is I learned how to love unconditionally. I thought I knew, um, you think you love your kids unconditionally, but in reality, if your love is based off of how they perform in school and how they perform at home and how they do their chores and you, you know, you keep things from them until they act better or do it. That's really not true um, unconditional love. And in fact, when I was listening to your podcast interview with Neil Donald Walsh, that's what hit me. He was talking about that, right? The pure love, I think is what he calls it. Mm -hmm. And I realized it doesn't matter if they make mistakes, if they're not living the way you want them to live, if they're teenagers making bad choices, they are not bad people. They make these choices and these decisions and even children, they're making these choices and decisions. Every human being makes choices and decisions based on what their needs are or not, like what's being met and what isn't being met. 
So if you can get to that why, why are they acting this way? Why are they behaving this way? Why are you behaving this way? Why am I behaving this way? We will start having those answers. The answers are going to come from within. And I can guarantee you that if you were to ask any parent who does believe in spanking and they use that as a tool, they don't like to talk about it. They don't like to do it. They will even mention it to me and say, oh, well, you know, sometimes I have to spank, you know, and they whisper it, you know, because they know it hurts your heart and it hurts your gut. It's not the right choice. Using fear and control is not the most effective way to get anybody to do anything. Mm -mm. And so if that's what I can leave anybody with is just those three things, learn to live in the moment, learn to let go and learn to love unconditionally and to always start with you. If you are struggling with your children, not listening, what can you do better? What can you do more effectively? What is possibly happening that you are possibly contributing to? Am I asking parents to be perfect? Absolutely not. I mean, I literally in just the last year finally developed a good, strong relationship with my 26-year-old daughter. You are still going to learn as a parent. There's never going to be a time that you're not. And guess what it took? It took me finally feeling bad enough in my heart and in my gut and, and in my mind, but in all honesty, in my heart and my gut to go, I am so tired of fighting with her. I'm so tired of carrying these negative feelings towards her for something that is already in the past. She's not even that same person anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not the same person we were the day before. And, and then I remembered what it was like to be an 18 year old mom with just one kid who had no special needs much less her at 18 with two. That were, I mean, it was a traumatic birth, traumatic situation, trauma, 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 all the way through. So when I started to let go, guess what happened? All of a sudden, her attitude towards me changed. She, now we both know, because we talked about it, at that same time, she was like, I started to feel like I needed to let it go as well. <clears throat> and we began to connect in a way that we had always wanted to be able to connect when she was the the baby and the toddler and the preschooler, and especially the teenager who needed a mom who would listen with love and not judgment, whether I agreed with her decisions or not, it didn't matter. So that's what I want to leave parents with. And that's what my goal is as a conscious connection parenting coach is to empower parents to feel that It is never too late. Even if your child does not respond positively to you, that does not matter. What matters is what you do because you are the only person that you live with for all of your life. Yes. And can't control anybody else. I mean, obviously the more you try to control them, they're less controllable. So, you know, so just, you know, taking that step back, thinking, evaluating, breathing, calming yourself down. And starting with why and going from there. And you will, I mean, you know, when I get questions like, well, how do I know this is going to work? Well, what you've been doing hasn't been working. What if you tried for two weeks, three weeks? I mean, what's it going to hurt? You're either going to be in the exact same place that you were or are right now, or it's going to be worse. And to be honest with you, from the studies that I've done and the people I've talked with, if you don't change your behavior, 
it's going to get worse. It does not get better. My personal experience gets worse, doesn't get better. So, you know, that's, that's ultimately it. It's, it's really quite simple when we look at it from that perspective, it's people makes it, people make it more complicated than it has to be, but it's really as simple as just stopping and thinking and breathing and asking yourself why and going from there and everything that you do be from a foundational concept of conscious connected parenting, because every child is different. Even with my twin grandsons, they're identical. So they're identical at the, you know, at DNA level, Mm -hmm. completely different children. Mm -hmm. One's extroverted, one's introverted. And the introvert is a highly sensitive child as well. He's an HSP. So, I mean, even just barely coming up into like a firmer mom voice will set, set him off into tears. He's they're eight and he's just so sensitive. And so it's like, we have to be, you know, careful about how firm do we get with certain ways that we handle him versus, well, his brother will play you. He's the little charmer, you know, kind of pushes the buttons. And to be honest with you, he's a lot like his mother. (laughs) We laugh about that a lot. (laughs) And, um, he, if you don't like immediately start off with a firm, firmer voice and you're just kind of firmer consequences, um, firmer conversation and just like kind of helping him understand, you know, right versus wrong kind of situations. Oh, he'll play you for sure. So, you know, we have to kind of handle it a little bit differently and same thing with our own kids when they were growing up, of course, even coming from different parents, it doesn't matter if you have kids that come from the same parent, me and my brother, same parents totally different people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to find those ways that speaks to your child, what their love language is, but based off of that foundation of being consciously aware of your choices and your decisions and connecting with them with love and instead of fear. So that's awesome. Don Renee. Thanks. That was a great description. And Oh, so true. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Parenting, I think, um, has been one of the biggest personal development motivators in my life. They will absolutely make you grow as a person for sure. If you don't take care of it before, they will, they'll make you do it while, Mm -hmm. (laughs) while you're raising them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I think it is, you know, self-development while you're raising them because you're growing as well and you're learning, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Um, what am I doing that needs to change? You know, how am I mm-hmm. affecting, you know, how my child is reacting right now? You know, I remember yeah. the day, like four years into it, I'm like, this has got to stop. What can I do, you know, to shift the dynamics that are going on? And then it had been going on for four years. So there was a time where they had to relearn, you know, which took another mm-hmm. couple of years, right? Where I'm like, I remember the first time I'm like, okay, pause. I need to put myself in a personal timeout right now. Right. And then, you know, I had the benefit of going through my four year school at the, at the time. So I was learning about triggers and learning about, you know, my own wounding and where my wounding came from and how you react out of your wounding and how that impacts others and to press the pause button and to take the breath and to realize when you're triggered Mm -hmm. and to step back so you can respond instead of react. Right. But yeah. it all takes work. It's not something that happens overnight. It's practice. Yeah. And, and even just, you know, working through 
understanding that we know more things now than we did before. And that even includes with the situation of being neurodivergent. So many parents who are afraid of, I'm afraid to put my kid on medicine. Okay. We've had 40 years of ADHD research. Um, Russell Barkley is like the leading expert, Dr. Russell Barkley for ADHD. He's been doing it for like 30 years. So he's been at the forefront all this time. And, and, and he, I highly recommend anyone look him up um, and, you know, read what he has uh, to say about, you know, how to even deal with ADHD. Um, I, you know, we know more now and there's new stuff coming out all the time about autism, um, even just something recently in the news about how they've developed and are still looking at um, being able to detect autism in the hair follicle, like almost from birth. I mean, wow. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, now I don't know if that that's mainstream yet or not, as far as actually being done, but I know it's been found that there is this huge possibility. Um, there's just so many things. So I'm, I'm always researching and reading and finding out this kind of stuff. And I'm kind yeah. of like the info nerd in my family, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately find out about childhood development and what to expect from your children at certain ages. We expect way too much from our kids at younger ages than we do, mm-hmm. than we need to. That was another lesson I had to learn. I was totally shocked to find out when I read The Whole Brain Child. um, And this was when I was uh, helping raise the grandsons. So my kids were already adults. That your brain does not stop developing until you're 25, around 25, 26 years old. Mm -hmm. And my two younger kiddos were not 25 yet. And would you believe last year when they turned 25, I saw that switch get flipped all of a sudden they're like more mature making better choices actually you know like just amazing me with the maturity level and I just was so blown away and then then I remembered what I'd read a few years prior and I went oh my gosh that is so true but then you think about this okay what about a neurodivergent brain what if you're dealing with someone who's you know has more mental health issues and whatever Mm -hmm. Yep. It's very important that parents find out more about the brain and understand neuroscience in that respect. And you don't have to get all into like all of the medical documentation and stuff. Just Google it. I mean, it is literally right there at your fingertips to find out, for instance, when we experience a really deep trauma at a certain age, like let's say three or four years old, we're abandoned by a parent or something. There's certain parts of your emotional brain that stop developing at that point for the rest of your life. So I had happened to see a study. I don't remember where it was. I just remembered seeing a study a couple of years ago where someone had gotten their child's brain mapped. He was adopted. He was about 10 years old and they were having a lot of issues with him at school, um, having a lot of meltdowns and tantrums and not socializing very well with other students and other kids. Now, just from what I was reading, I knew instantly what, what the deal was simply because I'd had experience with that in my family with reactive attachment disorder, Mm -hmm. when there's either an adoption or let's say a parent abandons their child and the other parents raising them, um, you know, it creates an attachment disconnection, um, issue. So this child had reactive attachment disorder and they did a brain scan and found that the part of the brain that controls those emotions had stopped developing at three. So he literally was acting like a three-year-old at school, yeah. but they were trying, but they were expecting him 
to act like a 10-year-old, what they think a 10-year-old should act like, rather than looking at him and seeing him and his needs and what was not being met, what had not been met, and making sure they were met. Another great book, The Connected Child by Dr. Karen Purvis is absolutely like my go-to for anybody who would be listening who has an adopted child, they're fostering children, or they're raising special needs children, or even in our situation, we were basically fostering our grandchildren. Um, that is one of the hardest things is being the grandparent in the sense of we're taking that old way of thinking, the old way of doing, and we're doing exactly to our grandchildren what we did to our own kids that created this disconnect. This is like almost a Bible for how to handle those particular type of situations. It's very heavy on connection to the point where like when we got the grandsons, let's see, they were three and a half. I still had to rock them to sleep. I still had to do things with them that were what you would typically do with like a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. They were, their speech was also delayed. They were three and a half. They were speaking at a two-year-old level. So in that book, The Connected Child, Karen, uh, Dr. Purvis, she's passed away, unfortunately. Oh, and she has, if you uh, look up her on YouTube, she's got a lot of videos and she's just the most loving and nurturing. Like I almost cry listening to her because she makes me think of like the grandma I never got to be around. I wasn't raised around my grandparents. So I just imagine she's like my grandma, you know, and I'm listening to her. And she, you know, really emphasizes that whole, you know, just being loving the connection, the calmness, because if you're anything more than calm, you're going to escalate the tantrum, the meltdown, the hitting the walls, the throw in the shoes. I mean, I had to deal with a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and I have shared some of that story on my blog. So if people go to the link, um, that you had given at the beginning, the link tree, um, forward slash Don Renee Rice, then, you know, peek around my blog. I, I'm very open and very authentic about my experiences and what happens, you know, with having raised kids and stuff, because we can't, we can't put this stuff under the rug anymore. No. Um, we're way past that in this world. We have record mental health crisis, record violence. Um, I was in a committee with school um, for elementary age, and I was shocked when they told me how they have to go to trainings all the time to deal with angry children because more and more kids are angrier and angrier. And that was before the pandemic. So I am sure it's even way worse now. Um, we, we just have to do something different. And the only thing that ever makes a difference is love, love and compassion and empathy, bottom line. If you can just start with that and the consciousness and the connection, you're going to start seeing a big improvement in your family life for sure. Awesome. Well said, Don Renee. Thank, Thank you, you so much. What is a jewel of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Oh man, that's a hard one. Cause there's like so many that just came to my mind. Um, I just always go back to, um, love, love yourself, love your children, love. And I don't mean in the typical sense, but I'm talking about like literally take a step and look at them, just stop and just look at them today. Look at yourself today. Look at your spouse, your partner, whomever today, and just see one positive thing about them that you love and 
start to focus on that instead of the things that they do wrong, instead of the things that you do wrong. Love yourself. Again, as a Christian, one of the scriptures that I come back to, and I'm horrible at remembering like exact places, but Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God first, but to love your neighbor as yourself and all the rest would follow. He was being questioned about, you know, which commandments you should follow and that sort of thing. And he was like, Hey, I mean, if you, if you just love everybody, you're not going to want to steal from them. You're not going to want to hurt them. You're not going to want to, you know, have all of these negative things. And so I just always come back to that, to that nugget, just pure love. Like what Neil Walsh said, um, that's, that's the answer. If you start there, you really can't go wrong. So true. And one more time, Dawn Renee, how can people mm-hmm. reach you? Um, you can reach me online at Linktree. Um, it's L-I-N-K um, T-R dot E-E forward slash Dawn Renee Rice. Awesome. And then, or DawnReneeRice.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dawn Renee. It's Thank you. you. Thank you. A great topic. And thank you for doing the work that you do. And thank oh. you for sharing your journey with us. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. And I appreciate you having me on. Great. Thanks. All right, everybody. Look Dawn Renee up and get some advice and check out what she's got to offer. It's so important that we reach out to coaches like Dawn Renee who are available these days to be able to help us. These days, we don't always have to depend on friends or books or YouTube videos anymore. We have coaches out there who have had the experiences and who can help us. So thank you, Dawn Renee. I appreciate that. And thank you everyone for listening. This is Raise the Vibe with Liz and I'm your host, Liz Peterson. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Raise the Vibe with Liz. And my website is lizeshealingtouch.com. Have a great day, everybody. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.